rise and shine. Pour yourself a cup of coffee and tune in to Good Morning Aurora. News, weather, and really cool interviews. Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 a.m. Time is 8 o'clock a.m. Look at that. A plane that just landed so perfectly. You are listening to and watching Good Morning Aurora, the second largest city's first daily news podcast. It's Friday the 1st of July. Happy Friday. And happy 1st of July to all of you great people. William Miller III, Army Vet, good morning to you. We have a great show for you today. A great and informative discussion. We have a great guest who is back for his second appearance on our show. And we are happy to have him. George William Foster the Fifth, indeed, <laughs> better known as Congressman Bill Foster. Good morning, sir. Uh, good morning, Curtis. How's life? Hey, it's it is um, it is remains interesting. I have to say. It's, well said. It does. Yeah. Um, you have a new grandson. We're going to start off with that. That's right. Anytime I get really, really uh, downtrodden about all the the grief we're suffering in Washington D.C. I just think back home of my new grandson. So he's a, a year old in April. April first, right. he arrived. All right. And my grandson's name is George William Foster the seventh. Excellent. And now, even though I go by Bill Foster, uh, I my I'm, my legal name is actually George William Foster, and I am the fifth. My father, grandfather, and on and on. That's awesome. And you were sharing with us uh, awesome history about your family, troublemakers from way back, even in the Civil War. Um, interesting. Yeah, so I think George W. Foster I was actually served in the Civil War and was put in charge of one of the first regiments of freed slaves. And so this worked for a while, and then he got in trouble and was threatened with court-martial. Uh, because he insisted that the slaves under his charge should have the same rations, the same food as the white soldiers. Right. And this was not okay, apparently, with um, uh, some of the uh, good residents of New Orleans. And they, he was threatened with court-martial and then quietly let out of the army without a court-martial. But, wow. But so, as you say, we've been troublemakers from way back. Well, I'm glad to have you on the show today. Um, good to see you. Um, so first things first, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget that um, we've got a procession, not a parade coming up. It's going to be uh, Monday. I have some details of it here as well that I want to share with you guys. 23 miles. Did you guys know that? Uh, it's taking off from Phillips Park, uh, and then it will go on quite a, uh, quite a long and extensive route. Um, veterans, city vehicles first responder vehicles, and uh, the like. There will also be candy, music at various spots, and uh, seniors will be able to take part in this. So you guys, can, the routes and the link to download a map of it are on our Facebook page. We shared that link yesterday. Uh, so hope that you guys enjoy. And when the camera comes on, we've got some great stuff to show you from our friend Lisa of the Fox Valley Marine Auxiliary Corps. All right. 
Uh, the time is now 8.03. So the world has been going through a lot of upheaval. We'll just stick with America and our upheaval. Um, recently, as we know, Roe was uh, overturned by the Supreme Court. Um, quite the unfortunate decision. What has, uh, what's your opinion? What's your thoughts about that, sir? Well, lots of my deepest thought is how can it be that in our democracy that something that is supported by three quarters of the population, which is keeping Roe versus Wade, has now been overturned by a Supreme Court, uh, which was, um, and I, I think that you have to look at who was it that chose the Supreme Court that made this decision. And the answer is that these were, the majority was appointed by presidents that did not get a majority of votes. Right. And that's because of the design of the Electoral College, uh, which favors low population states. Um, it irritates me to no end that in the Electoral College, a citizen of Montana gets much more waiting power, voting power in, in the Electoral College than a citizen of Illinois. That's deeply undemocratic. Um, it's equally bad. It was also these have also been vetted for the nominations have been vetted and passed by the Senate. Right, and the Senate is also deeply undemocratic. A citizen of Wyoming has, I think, twenty-two times more voting power in the Senate than a citizen of Illinois. For those unfamiliar with the Electoral College, and in a in a nutshell, what is the Electoral College? How does it function, and why was it created? Well, it was created because back in the time of the American Revolution, you didn't have, you didn't have uh, telephones, you didn't have telegraphs. Right. You had to assemble people physically to collect and count the votes, uh, so that you'd have individual elections for president in all the different states. Sometimes with, you know, different sets of candidates in the different states. Right. And then you had to, uh, everyone had to assemble and you know have a discussion about, a discussion and collect the votes. So they literally rode in by horseback, or some in some cases sailed in because there weren't really uh, roads right. between the states back then. Wow! And it took um, sometimes months to assemble everyone. You know, now we know we have a pretty good idea on election night, but we still have the formality of collecting all of the votes and counting all the votes. Right. Which is what happened on January sixth, despite the best efforts of a lot of people to prevent it from happening. Right. It did happen. Um. Okay, now... Actually, January 7th, we assembled after midnight. Okay. Um, now, how, um, how can Roe be codified? Um, well, the, what the Supreme Court did, and it, it did a couple of things. First off, the basis for Roe was that the Supreme Court found that everyone had a right to privacy which is not written in the Constitution, but then the Supreme Court said, well, if it's not in the Constitution, we're going to um, say it doesn't exist. Uh, so that the basis of the Roe decision was that a woman had control over private decisions made between herself and her doctor. Right. And that was the thinking behind it that's been accepted for 50 years right. in, this, in this country. And for a long time, people who wanted politicians and government to have control over a woman's body have been agitating for a change right. in this. And uh, in order to make that happen logically, the Supreme Court had to say, nope, sorry, no right to privacy. And that has a lot of secondary worries that people have. Right. Because if you, all right, if you can't keep, um, if the government can intrude on abortion decisions, it can intrude on birth control. Absolutely. It can intrude on, on private uh, 
know, personal sexual activities. And when, when I was, you know, in my lifetime, there have been people going to jail uh, for having, um, you know, non-standard sex with other people. That, that was a crime that people would serve multiple years in jail for. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's right. I remember when I was a kid, and not even a very young kid, seeing stories of, I think it was a dentist in Florida who got caught having um, non-standard sex with his wife. The neighbor looked in the window, reported him to the police, and he spent time in jail. In, oh my, my, in my lifetime. Goodness. But this is, this is what happens when there is no right to privacy, and the government and politicians get to make the rules for how people behave. And so this is this has opened up the gates to a lot of things that I don't think the American people yet appreciate. Without the benefit of a crystal ball, how likely do you think it is that other rights, like interracial marriage, for example, yeah. are well the, eroded or take you know? Yeah, well, Clarence Thomas in his his write up of the decision. Um, that overturned Roe said we should also look at, uh, for example, over, if I pronounce it right, the, the gay marriage decision. Right. And so that he had a long list of things that they should go after. Um, and so this is not going to stop with just abortion. This is going to be something that is um, where somehow a, a minority point of view in the United States has grabbed control of the Supreme Court. And we have to look and understand what it is in our in our country that makes that happen. Um, so, for people like me who are voters, what can we do? Well, what you can do in a state like Illinois is just you know send a lesson uh, to politicians that support uh, support what the Supreme Court is doing. Yeah. Uh, and it used to be people. People used to say, "Oh, it's not important because this would never happen." Okay. I right, yeah. yeah. And don't worry yeah. about it. And so make your voting decision on other things like you know taxes or whatever. Uh, but now that it's happened, I think that people have to reconsider and say, maybe I want to vote for the candidate that supports the right to privacy. What does it say that in America that type of um, that, that, that type of thought with, with a minority could be so prevalent, still so strong. I mean, a minority of people, but yet with, with such ability well, to it, make those. It has to do actually with the design of the United States from the very start. When we were trying to get all the states to come together in a common government, one of the, the biggest concerns of southern states is they wanted to make sure that the majority opinion of the of the people of the United States, which was against slavery, right. would not result in changing the laws to abolish slavery. Right. That was and so that that's why, for example, they insisted on a Senate where all states have the same voting power in the Senate, whether they're you know states with half a million people or states with fifty million people. And that is the reason that we can thwart the will of the majority of American people. Wow. And it was designed that way from the very start. And the, the southern states that agreed to form the Union um, also insisted on counting their slaves as only three-fifths of a person. If you Which is in that. the Constitution. Right. That was in the original Constitution, and we have changed it. because the three-fifths amendment. Is that correct? I can't remember the amendment. Okay. But it's, it's a, pretty early we realized it you know, was not. 
I don't know, maybe it was post-Civil War. I'm not sure when that went away. Right. But it was, you know, and the concern then was, you know, they didn't have many, uh, you know, many slave owners. They had a lot more slaves than slave owners, and so there was a problem they had with they wanted to have a lot of voting power in the national government when they actually didn't have that many free people. Wow. To um, do it. And so this has been a problem since the um, the birth of the United States, the overrepresentation of low population states by design um, in the U.S. Senate. And because the the um, uh, the presidency, the presidential vote takes place from the Electoral College. In the Electoral College, the number of votes is the number of House members, which okay. are the same. That That's proportional to population, plus the number of senators, which is just proportional to the number of states. And that's what gives the disproportionate voting power <clears throat> in the, um, in the, or the presidency to low population states as well. Wow, the time is 8.12 a.m. Um, wow, that's, so you, you explain it so well, and um, it seems like a very identifiable problem, but also I have to admit it does seem like somewhat slightly depressing to see how ingrained yeah. it is. And, and it's how ingrained. difficult it is. Yeah, exactly. No, this has been a, a, a recognized problem for centuries in our country. Right. You know, there's a famous piece of legislation by a frustrated um, member of the House of Representatives where it is, you know, proportional to people and Democratic. Um, he submitted a legislation, actually a constitutional amendment to abolish the Senate which gets remembered fondly from time to time by many members of the House, mm. you know, because the Senate is deliberately not representative right. um, of, of the people. And this is, and it's damaged uh, policies in the United States for generations. You know, my father was a civil rights lawyer. He wrote a lot of the enforcement language behind the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and was very involved in everything having to do with the legislation that was that changed America for the better in the in the early and mid sixties. Right. But um but that everyone thought that didn't have a chance to make it through the United States Senate because the United States Senate then as now was dominated by low population rural states who are not always the most uh, socially advanced. Not at all. Well said. That was very that was I hit the clap for that. <laughs> that was very well said. These uh, protest rallies that sort of sprung up spontaneously yeah. as a result of the road decision. You know, I actually explain that to them and say that trying to finally fix the malapportionment of the Senate is really the it is the task of their generation. Right. That um, if you look at other countries, in you know, for example, France solves this problem every so often, every I don't know, twenty or forty years or something. They simply change the boundaries of the states so the states all have equal population. Hmm. Okay, now we're not likely to do that, but we can do something so that the, the votes in the Senate have some relation to the population right. um, of, of the states they represent. That's, that's something we have to do because it's um, originally at the time of the Founding Fathers, uh, the ratio of populations of the smallest state to the biggest state was about six to one. Okay. Okay. And now it's like 80 to one. Holy cow. And so that means a citizen of, of Wyoming has 80 times the voting power in the Senate than a citizen of California. As America has grown, we've not advanced. 
fully. We're, we're stuck with this compromise with the slave states that has been with us for our entire history. Uh, the time is 8.15. Dan Barrero, good morning. Kathy Brockman, good morning. Happy July. Have a great fourth, everyone. Thank you very much. And Tracy Hodges is here. Good morning to you. Jessica Palomo. Hi, everybody. Good to see you guys. We are here uh, with special guest today, Congressman Bill Foster. This is his second appearance. And uh, we gave a good intro to George William Foster VII, uh, Congressman's grandson. <laughs> awesome. Um, all right, the 11th Congressional District, what is it? What are its um, well, boundaries? Well, right now, the uh, the current one and the one I've represented for most of the last, for pretty much the last 10 years, uh, has included Aurora. Okay. It's always, well, my districts always represent Aurora um, uh, ever since I've been in this business. Uh, but it's it actually has the first, the second, third, and fourth largest cities in Illinois. So what is, you know what the second largest city of Aurora, is. what do you think the third is? Rockford. Joliet. Joliet. All right. Okay. And, and the fourth is? Rockford. Naperville. Naperville. Oh. So the, oh. the 11th district has Aurora, Joliet, and Naperville, the second, third, and fourth largest. Um, and so and so I've represented that area. And it also has, it's you know crazy shape. It's got pieces of Bolingbrook, yeah. Romeoville, and you name it. Um, and, but it's um, but the new district, um, the new eleventh district, also anchored by um, by most of Aurora and Naperville, and most of about half of Naperville. Okay. Um, but now what it does, and it also has Bolingbrook. So those are sort of the parts that remain. Uh, but the new part of it, but now we've dropped Joliet. Which kind of breaks my heart. Wah, wah. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, I'm going to miss the Blues Brothers reunion. I don't know if you saw that. I did. Dan yes. Yes. In. Yep. All right. Good well, stuff. Well, I will still actually be representing Joliet. Okay. But I'm, I'm actually very proud because you know it's the Joliet Prison. Have you ever seen the Joliet Prison? Yes, I have. It is just a thing of beauty, and and it's well loved, and it's falling apart. And so one of the things that that I've done uh, as I've represented Joliet is I've tried to get some federal funding to fix up the building. Okay. Because it's become a real tourist attraction. Yeah. You know, they, they give tours. There's just a continual stream of, like, German tourists taking selfies in front of the Blues Brothers prison. Yeah. <laughs> it, is, it has become yeah. a real value to them. But, but it is falling apart. And I was very proud that I was actually able to get um, one of the many community-supported funding projects that I was able to get was to get some money to fix up the the roofs and, and various things that are falling apart in the Joliet prison, which will make it um, possible to have more events like bringing the band back together uh, for the Blues Brothers. Yes. Um, now, let's talk about the community project funding. Um, so that's that's actually just one piece. And that's is that Stateville prison? Or is, um, it, is it just No, no, not Stateville. This is the what the old Collins Street prison that they call uh -huh. it locally. Okay. Um, it's in downtown. Um, there's a woman's prison across the street, but it's one of these things that's the old limestone buildings with the tourists. And tourists and, well, it looks like the Blues Brothers. Right. Okay. Um, I want to read from a great description. Um, so the projects listed have been submitted to the House Appropriations Committee for consideration. Part of the fiscal year 2023 uh, government spending bills. Um, and uh, the program, the CPF program, excuse me, is a continuing initiative first introduced for fiscal year Twenty-two. Yep. The process allows uh, for members of Congress to request direct funding for projects that benefit the communities 
they represent um, and compliance with house rules uh, this is really good stuff projects are restricted to a limited number of federal funding streams the only state and local governments are el and eligible nonprofit entities are permitted to receive sure. funding yeah. okay and so this is something that um, I think it's a well for a long time um, what used to be called earmarks were just a source of huge trouble and corruption because what would happen is that members of Congress would steer the um, steer money federal money into like individual local businesses for-profit businesses and then the businesses would sort of miraculously start contributing back to the campaigns wow. and, and you, yeah. know, you know it was really bad and so for good reason Congress got rid of them a few years ago but then we realized that there were a lot of, of very good community supported projects you know, often you know, run by nonprofits or, or governments. Um, you know, things like the Hesed House. Yeah. One of one of the things that I was able to get some money for was an expansion of the Hesed House, so that it includes a, a resource center, so that it's not only a place where you know you have a place you can sleep overnight, right? But then you can go and get job counseling and so on in a, in a new building or actually a refurbished building across the street from Hesed House. Mm -hmm. And so this is, um, you know, this is the sort of thing that I know the community supports, the community needs. And as a representative in, in Congress, I think it's appropriate for me to be able to recommend specific funding for nonprofit um, projects like that. And I remember <clears throat> when that happened, that was in our news that particular day. Um, Joe Jackson, the executive director of Hesed House, he, he, is, uh, he tunes into our show. And uh, that was really good news because the Hesed House does, they do a lot. And like you said, it's not just a place for, for folks to, um, it, it has been stigmatized, unfortunately. It's not, just for, it's not just a place for folks to reside if they're unhoused. They do a lot there. And a lot yeah. of the volunteers really um, uh, do a good job there as well. Yeah. And, and it'll be able to do a lot more with the, um, with the resource center that will be funded right. with this thing. So, you know, it's an example. Or, you know, fixing up the old Joliet prison will make Joliet a, a better and happier place. Um, now, Fox so, Valley Park District, yeah. Fox Valley Habitat for Humanity, Marie Wilkinson's Food Pantry, um, United Way of Will County, all of those are also. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, the, one of the things that really has made Aurora such a, uh, a nicer place to live has been all of the work done to fix up the river. Yes. You know, when I moved here 40 years ago, you know, people would say, don't ever make the mistake of buying a house down by the river because the river stinks, right? Because it was so polluted that it, it stunk. And that and that all along Aurora, you had like, you know, used car, like junkyards. Yeah, all this by the stuff. river. Right, yep. by the river. And, and Mayor Weisner led a long-term campaign to just clean up the river, turn it into parks and open space, and it has transformed it. Aurora. That's why you're seeing downtown Aurora, or you could say it's almost gentrifying. Yeah. Right. And which is really good. You go out on any day of the week and there's uh, foot traffic, there, mm -hmm. there are, you know, parties happening. It's just, it's a, you know, it feels like a great um, thriving city, which it was in the past and, and is now again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we and have so, been. So things like, but the, what, the thing you mentioned with the park district, yes. one of the things that made, that's made that possible are the very nice paths along the river. And so that this was a, um, there's a, there's a missing bridge in North Aurora. 
You know, if you just look at, okay, where can I go from the paths on one side to the other? Mm -hmm. There's a long stretch where you say, I can't cross the river and I want to if you're on your bike. A lot of people. Right. A lot of people discovered downtown Aurora because they came through on their bikes, just riding down the, the bike path. Mm -hmm. um, and then they say, hey, Aurora's a pretty neat place. Maybe I'll come back tonight and go to the Paramount. Yeah, that's and so right. This is this has really been important, and so just there's a been a missing bridge for quite a while, and we have one of our many community project funds is to provide partial funding for that bridge today. Okay, and so all just right. things get better bit by bit, and as the your representative in Washington, if I can steer the money into specific projects that are really supported by the community, it's money well spent. It is no it, um, these you know the park district habitat for humanity these are great yeah. the um, urban league great community does yes. a lot of good and so this is um, the actually the um, the tri council development fund has a pre apprenticeship program everyone knows about apprenticeship programs you come into you know you come in you get the specific training as you're working um, but many. Many uh, youths who are at risk of being unemployed and, and not having a good result in their life uh, benefit from a pre-apprenticeship program where they say, okay, here's what's involved in a job, okay? okay? And here's what is expected of you in a job. Here is, you know, the basic skills that you need so you're ready for an apprenticeship program. Right. Uh, this one's for industrial painting. You know, have you ever wondered where you see some rusty old, um, old water tower? And then you drive by a little while later and it's all painted and it's not rusty anymore. Well, someone did that. Right. And someone did that who was actually very skilled at all at the safe ways to do it, the kinds of paints to use, the the, the techniques to strip off the rust before you paint it and put a primer. There's a lot of, of, of pretty advanced technology in that. And there's a, a lot of jobs that go into, you know, repainting bridges, water towers, oh, yeah. industrial um, plants. And so this is a uh, pre-apprenticeship program for industrial painting. And right now, industrial painting is a job in huge demand. You can get, uh, I don't want to quote the number, but you can get a very nice starting wage for industrial painting right now. Parents, kids, industrial painting. You heard it here. Yep. And so, and you know, there's, I was very gratified that in, in the first round of these, which went through last year, um, we ended up being 10 for 10 in getting ours approved because the, um, the congressional staff that looks at our requests does not approve everyone. Uh, and they want to make sure that they have real community support, that they make sense for the community. They're not some little private project of the congressman or right. congresswoman. Right. You know, and, that, and so we, the, the, we got a large number submitted. Uh, many of them were really, really good. We chose the ten that we thought were the best, and um, and we all ten of those got approved. We were actually told that the that the submissions we had were the best in Illinois and perhaps even the best of the all right the staff. And it was because of the strong the letters of support we got and the fact that the that the projects made sense for the community. Vanessa Rodriguez Aguirre, good morning to you. She says thank you for the work you do, Congress Foster, Congressman Foster. Oh, I try. Thank you, Vanessa. We appreciate that. And good morning, Norma Peterson. Thank you, Bill, mm -hmm. for such a great job for the people. Good morning, Norma. Scott Hayes, hello there. Um, it's so depressing about the misrepresentation. What can we do as average citizens? That's a good question um, well, from our friend Victoria Hallamaldonado. Yeah, well, look, at, I think there are, there are some things that, that we can do. 
not so much as citizens, but as consumers. Um, if you remember, <clears throat> a few years back, Indiana passed a very strong um, anti-LGBT. I can't remember what it was that they did, but it was, it was just egregious. Yeah. And what happened is that um, they canceled the basketball tournament. And, you know, they were going to have, I think, one of the big basketball tournaments there. And, they, and the players said, no, we're not going to go into, and, and do something and have a tournament to benefit a state that is um, not being fair to all of its citizens. And so that's an example of a consumer boycott. And then the, the, I think the league, I can't remember which league it was, uh, pulled out and, and immediately the, the state changed its laws. I bet, yes. Um, and so that even though the Senate is very unrepresentative of the people, if you put pressure on commercial entities, you say, okay, you know, if, um, you know, if Texas is going to pass laws to ban abortion, I'm not going to buy a Tesla that's built in Texas. I'll buy, I buy the, the Tesla that's built in California instead. And then very quickly, you will see that, um, you know, that businesses will take notice. And if they say, you know, we have a choice. Are we going to follow the... Um, you know, follow the markets of Missouri or the markets of Illinois, it won't take them very long because right. Illinois is not only much larger in population, it's much more productive economically. So that the, and the markets of, of the economically productive large states um, are ones that have a lot of power and, and the consumers in those states have not used it. So that just separate from our whole political system, I think people have to look at where these where the products they buy are coming from. And in states that are moving backwards, they will see markets disappear. That maybe it won't, they say, well, you know, I can go to a vacation in a state that's, um, you know, that has reasonable laws or a state that's not. Right. Um, and, and just choose to go on vacations in, in the states that are treating all their citizens fairly. I've been, um, I've been reassured when I see large corporations who traditionally have stayed quiet and not rocked the proverbial community boat. Um, Coca-Cola, when Georgia passed its uh, you know, arcane set of laws, I think this is maybe a year or two ago. Sure. Um, or Disney, Disney, Disney has been on the yeah. right side of some fights recently. Right. And they, at a minimum, they are treating their, their employees properly. So when states, for example, are banning abortion, they say, okay, we will pay for our employees to go and travel to a state where uh, it has not been made illegal. Did and you that's, know? That, that's the solution for their employees, but not for, uh, for the general population. I'm curious, Congressman, did you know this was a thing when you became a, did you know that this kind of, these issues, did you know that this was existing when you became a Congressman, or is this stuff that, did you have penny drop moments? Well, the one, one thing I was aware of, and I have been fighting all the time that I've been here, is the fact that Illinois is, because of the structure of the Senate, that Illinois is just being ripped off by all of the low population states. So if you look at the federal highway spending formula, it gives a lot more spending in some little tiny, per person, a lot more spending per person for the roads in Rhode Island, Vermont, or or even North Dakota than they do in Illinois. Okay, and the reason for this is the Senate is dominated by low population rural states. Right. And so they write all of these rules 
that favor low population states. You know, for example, if you look at the formula for affordable housing tax credit, the, the formula that the Senate has cooked up says, okay, every state gets the same amount. Sounds fair, right? Except per, not per person, the same amount per state. Okay, which mm -hmm. is insane that that Montana, which has 122nd of right. the number of people as Illinois, gets the same amount. And then they say, okay, well, um, we'll, we'll give every state the same base amount, and then if there's money left over, we'll uh, allocate the rest by population or by need, something like this. But the, the final result of that is that citizens of, you know, Wyoming or Montana get um, get several times more affordable housing tax credit per person than a than someone in Illinois, or or a lot more assistance with the roads we drive, and just on and on. And so the net result of that is that Illinois loses between twenty and forty billion dollars a year because we we get a lot less federal spending than we pay in federal taxes. And this is ever you hear everyone whining, oh Illinois is badly run. We've got this big pension debt. But guess what? If we got 20 to $40 billion more per year, if we just got the money back that we put out in federal taxes, you know, that would, we would not have a debt crisis in, in Illinois. And so it's just that, that one I was aware of for a long time. And I've been, just been, you know, tilting at the windmill called the United States Senate you know, the whole time and looking for opportunities. And we make little, little changes step by step. Uh, right now, I'm actually engaged in a big discussion um, with the where I'm on the conf the House Senate Conference Committee for the um, for the Competes Act, and this is something that deals with a lot of competitive issues with China. Okay, it's bringing the um, uh, bringing the chip industry, the computer chip industry, right. back to the United States. It's doing a bunch of good things. It is making a bunch of improvements to the um, to the science program throughout the United States. Right. We, we do that every 10 years. We just sort of reauthorize the whole thing and make sure we're putting money into the technologies of the future. And that's good. But now the Senate has this program that they're trying to step up that has that steers all the money into a bunch of low population states again. And, and that will be to the detriment of large population states like Illinois. And you know, right now I'm, I'm leading the charge against that in the U.S. House. As we speak, my cell phone is piling up with text messages from members that we're trying to just say, no, we've had it, you know, we've had it with being ripped off by the states that are overrepresented in the Senate. And this is something that members of the House should be fighting. Bill Foster, ladies and gentlemen, representing. <laughs> um, as I mentioned, Congressman, I do have a couple of quick local sure. news items to deliver to the people. This is your, oh, the time is 8.34 a.m. Um, so here's your local news and headlines, and then we will get back to our discussion with Congressman Bill Foster. Um, okay, listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. Now, now, now check this out. I got something for you here. Um, Sunday, this Sunday, uh, the lineup begins at 9 o'clock a.m. for the American Legion's Roosevelt Aurora Post 84 Historic LaSalle Street Auto Show. It's their 13th annual honoring local veterans. It'll be from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. There will be a 50-50 raffle, Foxy's Ice Cream, Strawberries Barbecue, Carousel Sound Company. What's up, guys? And, of course, the American Legion. Stephanie Kipplewitt, how are you doing? Good morning to you. Registration is at 9 a.m. Uh, to 11 a.m. And uh, awards are distributed at 2.30 p.m. For more questions, you can call 630-474-5081. 
four. Okay. Uh, next, Rotary Hill and Naperville. Naperville responds for veterans. Vets are free. Uh, at this great event, live m music, food, and beer, and a lot of family fun. Uh, 2 p.m. will be will be Red Pop Fury at Hill. Uh, 4 p.m. is the Priscillas. 6 p.m. Mike and Joe, and 8 p.m. Maggie speaks. Good stuff. Uh, presenting sponsors are Baird and Warner, Mason Sabika, and John Green, amongst others. Okay, you can also volunteer. Uh, at the Salute, the Salute has several opportunities for volunteers and organizations to work in a variety of areas, including setup, ticketing, ushering, food and beverage serving, hair down, and a whole lot more. All right, next, um, the venue. Get ready for this. Um, it's going to be Saturday. Out, presented by Allied First Bank will be the Air Force Band Starlifter. I love that name. <laughs> Going off to the stars. Um, this will be the second from 5 p.m. to 10.30 p.m. Uh, come and celebrate Independence Day weekend in style at this free event at the venue. Okay, uh, and then last but not least, here it is, September 10th. It's a way out there, but I'm telling you now because if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you are late. Stephanie uh, Kithwood, state representative, presents the Kids Expo. This will be from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Fire trucks, police cars, medevac, and much more. This will be rain or shine at Phillips Park Family Aquatic Center, um, 828 Montgomery Road in Illinois. Admission is free for the public. For more information, you can call 630-585-1308. The number again is 630-585-1308. Your friends of the Neighbor Project will be there. And so will the um, Girl Scouts of Northern Illinois. Vanessa Mendoza, good morning to you. The time is 8.37. Philip Millie, sounds similar to the Electoral College. Philip, you tuned in at the right time. Um, okay, we talked about the community funding, talked about role. Um, I wanna talk about the Appropriations Committee. Who are mm -hmm. they? What do they do? What do they, it sounds self-explanatory, they appropriate funds. Right. Well, you know, the Congress has an interesting um, uh, you know, structure that it was set up, I, I think it was teeing off some uh, words in the Constitution that says the only way that you can spend federal money is by funding that are authorized to be appropriated by Congress. Okay, so what does that mean? Okay, and so that, that Congress, they had to make a bunch of jobs for a bunch of congressmen and so put them on lots of committees so they'd feel important. Okay. And so he said, okay, so what we're going to do is one set of committees are going to authorize programs. They were going to say, okay, it is all right to go spend money, um, say, uh, you know, you name it, and we're going to go build the interstate highway system, or we're going to build, um, you know, high energy physics labs at, at Fermilab, or we're going to do, you just name it, we're going to have the Apollo mission to the moon. We are going to authorize it and say, that's okay for the federal government to do this. And then the separate question, okay, how much money should we spend on it? Okay, that is the job of the Appropriations Committee. Okay. To say, okay, we're going to spend this much money building the highway system and this much money going to the moon. And so we've sort of separated those two things, um, which generates a little bit of inertia and a little bit of chaos, but at least it guarantees there are two sets of eyes on every project. So someone that, you know, if you don't have some crazy senator or, or member of the House, they said, this is my project, I'm the chairman of the committee, we're going to put all the money in this project in my state, then at least there's a second set of eyes that say, no, let's, let's step back and think about it. Right. So that's appropriations. 
And so that just every project you name has to be authorized by an authorizing committee. Right. And then uh, then the money appropriated um, in in competition with all the other ways that we have can spend money each year. And so what happens is that usually the appropriations committees are all about what are the goodies that we can hand out this year? You know, they, they're, they're figuring out the nuts and bolts of next year's budget, which right. is very important. And then the authorizing committee are just stepping back and saying, um, you know, what we're doing with the science right now, we're saying for the next 10 years, what do we want to, um, to actually accomplish? You know, do we want to send a man to Mars? In the next ten years, or do we want to, um, you know, fix up the bridges in our country? Right. Or do we want to increase taxes and do both? Okay. Mm. Okay. And so then you bring in a third committee called Ways and Means, and it's Ways and Means that that you figure out, you know, are we finally going to, you know, bring the tax, the tax rates, you know, back to where they were in the 1960s when the U.S. was the strongest economy of the world. Or we're going to keep the tax rate so low that we have these rusting bridges and and no longer send people into space missions to other planets. What would you do? Would you send people to space or fix bridges? Um, I would I would observe that since the start of the Obama recovery back in two thousand nine, when um, when we passed the stimulus bill and then we had the longest economic expansion. Mm-hmm. That if you say, well, how did that end up for that the Obama expansion? How did that, you know, which continued right up to the pandemic? Um, how did that benefit Americans? Well, the, there's this number that gets published every every um, every three months by the Federal Reserve, which is the net worth of Americans. Okay, you just add up all the families in America. How much do they own? Their house, their bank account, mm-hmm. their stocks, everything they own. And so in the depths of the financial crisis, that number was $60 trillion in 2009. Um, It is now above $150. Okay, so it's gone up by $90 trillion. Most of that increase, that $90 trillion, has gone, you know, the majority of it's gone into the top few percent. Right. And and that's something that Bernie Sanders uh, uh, correctly highlights a long time. Right. Um, when I was young, that would not have been the deal, because you know, for example, when I was starting my company with my little brother back, I was nineteen and he was seventeen. You know, at that time, um, we—if you were a tiny small business, you didn't get taxed much at all. Right. But when your business became big and successful, your tax rates were very high, and so we knew that if our company ever became big and successful, that we would that we would have very high tax rates. The U.S. used to have a tax code where the one the highest tax bracket only applied to one person, Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller. That's right. He was there was a tax bracket just for him, you know, and it was it was like you know above eighty percent. Wow. Okay, and it did not stop Rockefeller from being the, and continuing to be the wealthiest person in the United States. Right. And of course, there he had good lawyers, and he didn't really pay the eighty percent, but right. he paid. Right. Pretty, pretty high rates. And so what's happened is that starting in the 1980s, um, we decided you know, the, the, the people who didn't feel, rich people who didn't want to pay this, those taxes, you know, sort of grabbed our government by the throat and we, we pulled the taxes down. And that's why we have rusting bridges. Um, that's why we have student debt too. Because when I was a kid, I, I hesitate to say this because it breaks the heart of young. You know, I paid $2,500 a year to get my college education 
wow. at the University of Wisconsin. And that was, um, you know, and that's a, you know, a fine school. And it was, but that was paid for mainly by taxing the wealthy in Wisconsin. Right. That's how, that's where the money came from. And the deal was, if you were, you ended up very successful in life, you were expected to, to that some fraction of the money and wealth you'd accumulated would be used to help the next generation. So they didn't have to emerge from college with huge amounts of debt. Right. Now that to me sounds like and, the American way. And it was for when America was great. Right. And, and we have lost that um, starting with Reagan in the 1980s. Um, and so what happens if you cut the taxes for a little while the economy looks really good. And because you know what happens is that when you cut the taxes then all of a sudden you have to start charging students a lot more. You know, so it takes a while before kids drop out of college because they can't afford it, and you don't have a less you have a less well trained workforce. Right. It, it takes a while before your bridges rust through and crash. You know, and so that it looks really good in the short term when mm. you cut, when you cut taxes and 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 cut important spending, um, and and so that the narrative got accepted by the American that there is no damage when you cut taxes on the rich. There's um. I didn't mean to cut you off, I'm sorry. No, 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 it's fine. But this is, well, you got me started on a very important point because um, it, it's also dangerous to our, um, our democracy um, that, that our founding fathers understood that you could have, um, you could have unlimited accumulations of wealth. Right. Um, or you could have a democracy, but you could not have both. There's another, there's another, I guess, talking point or, or, or frame of thought that, that um, uh, I, I'd like you to, we need to eliminate regulations. You hear these people talking about, we need to cut regulations. We don't need regulations. I mean, what, mm -hmm. America doesn't need regulations. Send politicians so they'll cut regulations. Congressman Foster, what is the wisdom of cutting regulation? That doesn't well, seem very... Well, first off, I, we are a capitalist society, and I am capitalist, and I think the first, the first approach to any problem should let the markets deal with it. That should be the first approach. But then, then you have to understand there are times when the markets get the wrong answer. You know, for example, um, if you're setting up a factory to manufacture um, uh, chemicals near the Fox River, the free market solution is to dump your, your used chemicals into the Fox River. Okay, that is the cheapest thing to do. It will allow you to make cheaper products. Um, if one of the if one manufacturer says, "Oh, I'm going to clean up my discharge and not dump my water," it will cost them more money. Their products will be more expensive. They will be driven out of business. And the free market solution ends up with a Fox River that looks like what it did 40 years. It smells like what it did 40 years. And we are still cl cleaning up um, industrial sites all along the Fox River um, that where. You know, there's paint. There, there are places on the Fox River where there's paint and paint solvents that are oozing out of the ground and still flowing into the Fox from, from industrial sites that were not regulated. Okay, and then when you, you have to recognize when the free market doesn't get the right answer for all of, all of society, like allowing pollution, uh, that there is no alternative than having government come in and set minimum standards of behavior. Right, and the same thing for treating workers fairly. Right, um, if you you can be more profitable as a business if you just abuse your workers, um, you know, and, and underpay them and right. force them to take unpaid overtime and you know, all you know, all the long list of things that happen. 
Um, and when that happens, um, there, you know, if you let the free market make all the decisions, it doesn't end well for particularly the workers. Absolutely. And, and so that under those circumstances, there is no alternative to having government step in and set minimum standards for how you have to you know, treat your workers. You can't, it's cheaper to put them in unsafe situations um, and let them bear the consequences when they get injured on the job. Right. And, and so these sort of things, we're, we're seeing this also for uh, climate right now. It is cheaper. The cheapest thing you can do to make electricity is to just burn coal. You know, you burn coal, you put it into the atmosphere, and you can. That's the low-cost way of making electricity. At least it has been for generations. And so the problem is that ignores the damage that's being done to the communities that are downwind of the coal plants, right? Where they all of a sudden, um, you know, all this coal smoke falls out and and falls on playgrounds, and you can just sit there and look at the at the sand on on playgrounds um, and measure all of the heavy metals. That are, have been deposited there over decades from the coal smoke. You know, then the rain comes and it falls down on the grounds. Yeah, and so it's also not an accident that if you look around Illinois and around the country, that a lot of the coal plants that have been allowed in operation tend to be upwind of underprivileged areas. The the last ones that disappeared, uh, for example, locally around here, were in South Joliet. Right. Romeoville, you know, and, mm. and upwind of, and upwind of a lot of, um, a lot of the south side of Chicago. Ladies um, and gentlemen, this is this is very informative. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. On behalf, yeah, but that's of, the danger of having a scientist on, as one of your guests. <laughs> <laughs> um, shout out to Fermilab, definitely. And you're still in contact with Fermilab. You still, you are. Um, I had it right the last time we interview each other. You were on a committee that oversees activity at Fermilab? Was oh, that? I was, well, I worked there for 23 years. Right. And so I'm on one, I'm on the science committee, which okay. indirectly, um, you know, well, all the different national labs, one of which is Fermilab, one of which is Argonne National Lab. And just, uh, we have oversight over a lot of different things, including Fermilab. But I was very honored, actually. This spring, I got a Lifetime Achievement Award from the American Physical Society for all the work that I Congratulations. That's Congratulations. Right. All right. Well, it was really neat. I had to write my first physics talk in like 15 years. <laughs> and so, so I know the first thing I encountered is, you know, physicists always give PowerPoint presentations with all their tables and numbers mm -hmm. and stuff on it. And so I had all these 15-year-old PowerPoints. And so if you ever, you may have noticed that the, the aspect ratio, you know, a PowerPoint now is like long and wide, mm -hmm. like, like a laptop screen. Yeah. And before they've been square. And so I had all these 15-year-old PowerPoint slides that were square, and I couldn't use them because I had to stretch them to the new. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> anyway, this was, but it was wonderful to see a lot of my old friends there and get congratulated on it. Actually, you know, the last of the giant machines, you know, what, all the time I was there, we were smashing protons and antiprotons together to make particles that have not been around since the Big Bang. Right. And so I, um, I invented and, and led the... Uh, construction of all the magnets for a uh, what's called the anti-proton recycler ring which stored a record number of anti-protons so we could smash a record number of them make particles that have never been around before um, so it's actually um, uh, on the one of the members of the team that discovered the top quark which is the heaviest known form of matter that's right 
Um, and so this was, you know, there's a lot to, that Illinois should be proud of uh, for the discoveries at Fermi Lab and at Argonne. You know, Argonne has won many Nobel Prizes. Fermi Lab has won Nobel Prizes. Some of them for discovering particles that no one had any idea they existed before, or they had a suspicion, and then we actually discovered them. And so these are things that are going to be in the science textbooks forever. That on in the prairies of northern Illinois, that Fermi Lab in Argonne, that discovered, and it's it's something I don't think we're proud enough of it. That's awesome. Uh, quick question: Explain how the lack of regulation in China puts them an unfair advantage. We have a listener who's disturbed by forced labor in China. Yep. Good morning, Cindy. Yep. No, this is a another um, consequence of the unregulated free market. You know, if you say, what is the cheapest way to make um, to you know pick cotton or to um, or to uh, sew sew cotton shirts together? Um, the answer is it's with forced labor, right? In in countries where people are so poor that they don't have alternatives. Um, and so um, there are times when it, that is an okay. It is okay to um, for the United States to buy things from countries that are poor. You know, that's a huge benefit to them. Sure. It's a benefit to us. Sure. Uh, but you cannot, but I think we make a mistake when we don't, um, we don't also at the same time insist that you're treating the poor people who are working in those factories fairly. So the, the Uyghurs, for example, it's basically forced labor. Right. They can't decide, I'm going to just move to a different place in China. You know, they're not allowed to move out of the Uyghur territory. They're, the Uyghur is the, the, the Muslim minority. Muslim minority part. way yeah. off in the, in the far Western right. part of China, way far from the coast. Um, and so the, the, I could talk for quite a while about all the injustice that the, the Chinese are doing. You know, they're basically trying to um, annihilate their culture right. and force them all to be just like the Han Chinese, coastal Chinese. Yeah, they're, 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 their religion is outlawed too, right? Yep. Oh, they are, there are surveillance cameras everywhere. If you're a Uyghur, you are dragged down to the police station where they, they set up a bunch of cameras looking at you and you have to recite this script and they record your voice, they record your face so they have facial ID and they can identify you on surveillance cameras for the rest of your life. And this is, um, you know, and they, it's not, it's just a really dark future. And, and the Chinese are now doing this not only to the Uyghurs but to their entire the time is 8.54 a.m. Yikes. Time just flies by. Oh, my goodness gracious. Victoria, good morning. Judge Bianca Camargo, good morning to you as well. John Schomer, Tracy Duran. Okay, um, before we end, um, what are going to be the rest or some more um, priorities for yourself for the rest of the year? What can the people expect of uh, Congressman Bill Foster? Where will we uh, see you? What's the issues? Well, look, at the big thing that we have to finish is the, the House-Senate conference on the committee. Yeah. It's going to be important to um, the scientists all around the country for the next 10 years. Um, we have to, um, and, and part of that is actually uh, the, the so-called CHIPS Act, which is incorporated. Uh, you know, one of the Chips reasons Act. why cars are so expensive right now is that the manufacturers cannot get the computer chips for the cars. And you say, how... It, the, could this have happened? And one of the big problems is that over the last 30 years, the, the computer chip industry has moved offshore. 
And then when there's a U.S. manufacturer that has a shortage of chips, guess what? They're at the back of the line. And so there have been many uh, car manufacturing plants that have been shut down or throttled back in their production because they simply can't get the computer chips. And so this is a problem that took decades to make, and it's not going to be quick to solve, but it's really important to get that. It's also a national security risk, because if you look at all of these high-tech weapons that are being so effective in the Ukraine, all of the Russian high-tech weapons use United States chips in them, because they sort of slipped, they went out to third countries and they bought them. Right. Um, but we now have the opportunity, by keeping those high-tech chips under tighter control, to really control who has access to the high-tech weapons right. in the future. And so that just controlling the supply chain on those a lot better and, and bringing it back home where we have more control will be important. The CHIPS Act and the COMPETES, was that yeah, it? The COMPETES Act and the CHIPS Act, the, those are the things that we really have to get going. The other thing is we have to do everything we can to protect women from the Supreme Court and to protect um, everything that we can to reverse some of the damage that's been done by the Supreme Court. Absolutely. Because part of the thinking of the conservative majority in the Supreme Court is that, well, um, in, we're going to throw away these, what used to be constitutional principles like the right to privacy, and then Congress will have to pass laws. And they, they make that decision knowing that the Senate is going to be a really very resistant to these things because the Senate doesn't represent the people of the United States represent senator. Oh man, the time is 8.57. You need a two-hour segment with Congress, Congressman Foster. You're right, Tracy, we do. Something for next time. Um, Congressman, the show ends on a positive note. Mm -hmm. What is your message today for the people of, uh, of Aurora? That you have a beautiful city. And one of the, the most important things you can do um, as the COVID crisis recedes is to just get out and go for a walk once a day. So everyone get out and walk along the Fox River. And um, you know this, this will do more for your outlook. Uh, and if you're the right age, a grandson, uh, having your first grandchild, I recommend it highly. <laughs> it will improve your quality of life, ladies and gentlemen. I am um, visiting my grandson again this afternoon. As soon as we're done here, we're going to um, drive over to a park and mm -hmm. play with my grandson this afternoon. Wonderful. Thank you very much for coming back on the show again for part two. I appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, we hope that you guys enjoyed this great episode. We appreciate Congressman Foster uh, coming back again for a uh, part two. Please, ladies and gentlemen, democracy is not a spectator sport. Uh, I am very happy to learn what I learned here today. We hope that you guys are too. Take care of yourself and each other. Yeah!